good to see you all. And I'm uh, wondering how many of you have heard this statement before, this expression that life is the best teacher, or maybe another version of that, experience is the best teacher. Have you used that before or heard that or, or maybe even found that to be true, that literally we learn, and what, if you think about it, the way that we learn, life as a teacher really has two specific tools that it uses. One specific tool is successes, things that go really well, and you're like, I want to duplicate that. I want to keep doing that because clearly that went really well. What's the other side of the coin, though? The other teacher that we have in life is our failures. Man, did I blow it there. Man, if I get another shot at that, if I get another opportunity, I'm going to do things very differently, right? Anybody have any of those experiences that you've learned from? Uh, some of you, maybe even on your drive to church this morning. But here, you think about that as it relates to the study of God's Word, even as we're studying the early church. And really, this is a historical account in the book of Acts of the early church. We have both teachers to learn from. We have things that they did really well. In fact, last week we saw how they dealt with theological conflict and issues, and we were able from the story, the account of the early church, to be able to point to things and be like, man, there's some principles we can take from here and apply to our own life and how we deal with conflict because they got it down pat. They did it really well. Well, this morning we get to see just the opposite side. We're going to see from the account of the early church where they blew it. Remember last week I talked about it's so refreshing that the church isn't like this doctored up photo. You get a picture of both the good and the bad. Well, here you're going to see exactly that and how they dealt with personality clashes because personality clashes are part of engaging with people around the church. You see even the, the grumpy couple uh, there, some different personalities, even in that image, you think about that. You don't have to spend very much time in the local church getting involved, rolling up your sleeves, being in, in, in any kind of role of service to recognize, man, there's people that I don't mesh with very well. Anybody come to that conclusion before? This isn't the time to amen. This is the time to be silent, right? In, in fact, some of you are sitting next to that person right now. Don't make eye contact. It's important we keep this to ourselves. But here's the thing. We all get pushed to maybe ask that question. Hey, Scripture tells us we have to love everyone, but do I actually have to like, well, somebody was quick on that, like everyone. So do, do we actually have to like everyone? And that's what we're going to wrestle through this morning because it's a part of the human experience to come with different people wired up very differently and figuring out how we all get along because there's a lot at stake with this. First off, two reasons you could probably add to this list. First off, we have a watching world that's watching how the church gets this. We can't just proclaim something from the front and then live completely different when there's inconsistency about us singing and talking about unity and then we're not living it out. That's a, if you think about it, it's a validation for their choice to reject Jesus Christ. So there's a lot at stake here with the watching world. And then within the church, if we don't get this right, there's a lot of would-be, would-be impactors that are left on the sidelines. What I mean by that is a lot of people that could be making major kingdom impact, but because of a personality issue, 
Because of a former clash, they're still sitting on the sidelines, sitting in bitterness and not living out the full potential that God's called them to in impacting the world in which they've been placed. Here's the reason why we're studying this morning. Let me pray before we dive in. God, we invite you to speak to us through this text, and we thank you for how practical your word is in the account of the early church, not just with their successes, but also in areas that they struggled, that we can learn from, we can glean from. We thank you for this just amazing opportunity to study this personality clash that we see in the text this morning. We invite you to speak to us specifically about this. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, well, it's always helpful if we're looking at the same text together, and so if you wouldn't mind opening your Bible Or, if you're one of the cool kids, you can open your new church app, ABF app, because it's down at the bottom there. You can go straight to God's Word. There we go. There's my little plug for that. Here, we're going to start with kind of the positive side of things in verse 35. So, we're Acts 15, 35. We're just going through verse 41 here this morning. 35 starts a little bit of where we left off last week. It says, But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. If you remember last week, we studied this. This was an account of the major theological difference that they had in the early church was assessing, is is the gospel have any kind of pre-requirements? Is there anything that we need to do on our end before embracing Jesus Christ? You had one group, if you remember last week, that presented that if someone's going to be saved, especially in the Gentile, uh, among Gentiles, is they'd have to first embrace the Mosaic law, more specifically being, uh, being circumcised in the flesh. And so that was a big deal. They came to a conclusion that there is nothing that's demanded of man prior to embracing Christ, that it's by faith alone, it's through Jesus alone, it's by his grace alone, all those conclusions they came to and they went back, if you remember, with the letter back to the church in Antioch, a group of Gentile believers, with this good news. So that's where we were left off last week. And so here we see what's happening. Once they got back, Paul and Barnabas, the key leaders of the church of that time, they're back in this city. And they're there, and it says that they go right back into investing in people, where it says that they taught and preached the Word of God. I like to make just one kind of side point with that. I like that observation that first off, you're like, why does it mention both of those, taught and preached? I think any healthy diet of a believer needs a little bit of both. You have to have teaching, which is more informational content. We try to do that even by digging into God's word, but also preaching, which is more the appeal to the heart, where you're saying, okay, based on that information, what do you, how do you respond to that truth? Do you understand the difference between the two? So they were making sure that it was taught, that they were well-informed, but also that it is appealed to the heart. If we, as a church, become just a piling up knowledge, that's a problem. You need a blend of both if you're going to live this out practically in our life. So that's what they're doing. They're going, and they're going back. And what I want to make a point to or observation to is the fact that they had so much in common. They had a similar theology. They had a similar heart for teaching and investing people. They had a history together, all kinds of shared experience. And here's the reason I point that out, because if you think of anybody that would have been qualified as like besties, it would have been Paul and Barnabas. 
Remember back in the era of your life where it was very important to be able to identify who your best friend was? Like when you're kids, you're just like, man, this, this is my best friend. Mine, his name was Sherm Geyer, uh, short for Sherman. So this is my best friend, Sherm. I was ready to announce that to the world. Well, Paul and Barnabas, if you asked either of them who their bestie was, I'm confident it would have been the other. So they're two besties. But here's the problem, though, is when you have two people that are especially close that leaves them all the more prone for personality clashes. Any married couples in here want to amen to that? When you spend a lot of time with somebody, when you have lots of similarities, shared experience, you have lots going on, a lot of times we're the least likely to provide our best to that person. We're a little bit more agitated by the, I'm getting serious here now, a little more, more agitated by the persons, the people that we're closest to. We're a little bit more prone to be less grace-giving. You see, you see, all of that is important when we understand personality, that we're not beyond conflict with even those who we're closest to. Some of us can point to that even in some of their relational dynamics now. I just wanted to make out that observation before we get into the conflict itself. Verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Let's talk about this for a little bit, what's going on here. First off, I wanted to just point to the fact that Paul would not be like a, an evangelist that goes into a town and preaches and somebody embraces Christ, then he wishes them the best and moves to the next town. He's somebody that feels the weight of evangelism the way that Jesus did, that it involves discipleship continuing to pour in somebody that's crossed the line of faith. So because of that, he has a real heart for all of these people. Remember, we just finished studying his first missionary journey where he introduced tons of people to Jesus Christ. So he has a heart to pour back into those people. He held that as a high regard, very valuable to him to pour into people. So what does he suggest? He suggests in this time when they're in Antioch, and this is also believed to when he wrote the book of Galatians to these churches. So he's wanting to pour in them by letter and in person. He suggests to Barnabas, what does he suggest there in the text? He says, why don't we go back and visit all of these churches to pour into them, encourage them, build them up. So do you see that request? Very noble request. Like, I think that's the right thing to ask. Now, on the other side of that, you have Barnabas, and you see a little bit of the, the conflict starting to brew here. What does Barnabas propose that they do? Bring John Mark. John Mark was Barnabas' cousin. What do we know about John Mark? You see it here in the text. John Mark had kind of dropped the ball in the first adventure that they went on. When they're about to go into the hardest leg of the physical journey, he bailed ship and headed back to Jerusalem. So Barnabas is suggesting, you know, we should bring him along on this trip. We should bring him as part of the team, you know, like let's make this three instead of two. So you see there the introduction of the idea. But what do you see Paul say? I don't think that's such a good idea. Because why? 
He deserted us last time. I'm not going to put, and here's where you start to see two personalities shape and come to light. One personality, we'll talk about this one first, Paul. Paul is somebody that valued commitment, determination, staying with the task. Remember last week when he was stoned in this particular town? What did he do? He shook it off, went back straight into the town. He's somebody that's like, you're not going to stop me. The, any kind of obstacle is not going to get in the way of me proclaiming Jesus Christ. Somebody that elevated mission as a priority. Anybody in the in the room here like that, that likes the, the task, that likes to accomplish things, has a, a goal in mind. You start your day and you are heading that direction. Nothing is going to get in the way of the goal and the agenda. I would suggest that's his personality. He's a little bit wired like that. Some of you might say like, hey, Paul, like tone it down. Why don't you give this guy a little bit of grace? But again, on Paul's defense, think about this. Have you ever lent money to somebody with the intention for them to pay you back, they don't pay you back, and then the next time they come and ask for money, how excited are you to hand them that cash, right? Anybody ever have that experience? I, I, I don't know. Uh, there, there's one practical. Here's another one. What if you, this is a little bit more dear to my heart, what, what if you lent your car to somebody? What if you lent your car? They crashed it. They crashed your car and then ask to borrow it again. How quickly would you hand the keys to that person? In Chicago, I had a, a friend that was into cars like I, like I am. He had a, a, an old vintage Chevelle that he had SS that he had fixed up from the ground up, like full body restoration, finished this thing, huge engine, awesome, and put a lot of time, energy, puts it, decides to take it to the track where you just do these straight runs, like for a quarter mile, goes to the track. He does a run, and this thing is just running perfectly. Amazing car. His brother-in-law, who happened to be with him, said, do you mind if I take a pass at it? And he's like, all right, let's, let's go for it. Hands him the keys. Guess where this story's going? Into a wall is where this story is going. He ran this beautiful Chevelle, and they discovered later, this is a valuable lesson, that your car insurance does not work at the track. So with a $40,000 repair bill, uh, that, that he learned a valuable lesson there. And here's the reason why I bring that up. To defend, you could say, Paul, man, you elevated the mission and it is a priority and it, and it makes sense. You are right. You are right to elevate. There's a lot at stake here in going out to these different churches. Okay, let's jump to Barnabas' side. So Barnabas. This is his cousin, man. This is his cousin. He's seen him since he was just a little kid. He's invested in him. He's seen his change and he's growing and he's maturing. And he's like, man, you got to give this guy another shot. You, I, I believe in him. We can't afford to have any high potential people on the sidelines. You need to give this guy another shot because, man, he's going to be a, a world changer. Any other people persons in here that are like, man, I, I always believe in the person, you know, like give him, my wife is that person. And, uh, and she's like, give him a second chance. Give him a third chance. Give him a 70th chance. You know, like this is Barnabas. His name actually means son of encouragement. So he's just, he's just living out his name. How can you fault him? You could say he was right too right? Both sides of it. They, they, they had a case. And you think about how many interactions we have still today where you could say, man, he was right. They were right. 
I'll give a little behind-the-curtain look at our church, an example of this. So Stephanie Aite, uh, if you know Stephanie, who's one of our office managers, she loves what's in this jar. Who can tell me what's in this jar? Confetti. Stephanie has a thing with confetti. Any celebration she feels like needs to include confetti in it. That's why if you're here on Easter, there's usually a lot of confetti. Here, a couple years ago, on Easter Sunday, we were going to do these confetti cannons. Anybody ever been a part of that here at the church? So we did that, but here Stephanie had the idea of leaving lines of confetti outside welcoming people. Well, it happened to be a very windy day on that Easter Here's a, here's a picture of me after everything was done with all of the work of the, of the Easter weekend. I'm there with a shop vac vacuuming the grass. Granted, she was out there too. But here's the thing. Talk about a fake smile. That's like a courtesy smile if you ever saw one. And so in that case... Stephanie just wants people to feel like a million bucks. She wants to celebrate things appropriately. You could argue she's right, right? Now, on my side, I think about our neighbors. I don't want to disappoint them with confetti being blown in their yard and making them hate us as a church even more. And so here's the, (laughs) you could make a case that both were right. And so we came up with this compromise. Here it is. No, I'm just kidding. No, we still do confetti. We've limited it to just being confetti within buildings. That's our, that's our compromise that, that we've landed on. The reason I bring that up is because, man, it's so funny because so often these personality issues, there's not a right and wrong. There's not like, oh, man, this person's right, this person's wrong. You're like, hey, you're both right. Man, you, you need somebody that's speaking up for second chances, and you also need somebody that's defending the mission and what's going to be accomplished and the goals. So you need a little bit of both. And here's the thing that we're, where, where it went south is any time, it, it doesn't matter, think about it, doesn't matter if both were right, if unity was severed on the altar of being right. If unity severed on the altar of being right, who cares who was right? Who cares who was right? This is, an, this is an example of, of, of who cares. And here's where it plays itself out. Look what it says in verse 38. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. This subject caused them to go their separate ways. The partnership, the friendship was dissolved over this one issue. That's like a Batman and Robin getting different caves. Like, this is crazy. Like, this, this, this is major, major separation. And here's the thing. I was reading some different uh, commentators that were like, well, they probably parted amicably. And, well, you go this way, I go that way kind of a conversation. Based on what I read there, they had such a sharp disagreement that doesn't sound like amicably. In fact, this is more of what I see this. This is like, this is Paul and Barnabas. Like they're throwing down in a biblical sense. Like they're, 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 they're going to town and a sharp disagreement, as much as we want to make that sound pleasant and nice, it was something that caused them to divide. In this story, there's no hero to celebrate. In this story, you can't say, look, Barnabas did it really well. Look, Paul did it really well. No. I'd suggest they both dropped the ball. I'd suggest they both dropped the ball because why? 
They elevated being right over the relationship. Whew, that's where we go wrong. Anytime we elevate being right over a relationship, that's when you know it's broken. That's when you know it's flawed. It's going, it's going the wrong direction because relationship has to trump being right. It has to trump being right. You think about Paul's later directives in Colossians 3, 3.12. He told people to be have a heart of compassion with kindness, humility, meekness, and patience towards each other. Does it seem like that's the case here? No. He allowed the wrong thing to trump the other, being right over the relationship. Here's where they dropped the ball. Last week, we talked about this, how we deal with conflict. We said, hey, it's important to choose battles wisely. Okay, I think they maybe did that here. It's an appropriate fight. Hey, we also said you need to look at God's heart and study God's word on the, the issue. I'm confident both one of, either one of them had a biblical kind of stance for why they, they did what they did. But here's where they fell apart is the area of compromise. The area of compromise to say, you know what? Who cares? Either direction. Here, just, just assess this. I'll ask you a question. Do you think God still could have done amazing things on this next adventure with them, regardless of what that decision was? Whether they brought John Mark or didn't bring him, I'm confident God could have accomplished his will regardless. Sometimes we think that our decision and our preference is so critical that the mission depends on it. And God's like, eh, I'm the one that's going to work despite your dumb decision one way or another. I'm the one driving the ship here. There's the reminder that we need, the reminder that we need. A couple just practical tools just for how to, how to navigate some of these personality uh, differences. I jotted a couple down, and maybe you could add to the list yourself, but there's a couple just practical ones for navigating this. The first one is celebrating differences. Celebrating differences. Our staff here at the church is a wonderful example of that. We have very different, unique people on our church staff. Imagine this. Imagine if our staff, our church staff, was only one person duplicated. Imagine if our whole church staff was John Irwin's. You know, like there, there'd be, there'd be a lot, <laughs> there'd be a lot that would get accomplished. There'd be a lot of crying. Like there'd be, there'd be, there, 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 not from, from him. He cries a lot. He said to use that. I was looking for once. How, how about if it was all, how about if it was all a bunch of Chad risers? What do you think? There'd be lots of music, not a lot getting done. You know, like there'd be, there'd be, a, there'd be, there'd be, or, or Stephanie's. Imagine if there's all Stephanie, lots of confetti, but we'd be completely broke. Like, uh, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. God, you, and you could say the same with Scott's, any one of us. Like the, the, the reason the church works is because the wide array of unique personalities. Man, you don't, you're not trying to, in our mind, here's the important thing. We're trying to make or they need to be more like me. Well, if they did, if we all became like any of us, it would be a problem. We have to celebrate differences because that's what makes it work. That's what makes it work. You, you need to understand that. And here's the thing that's a, maybe a helpful tool when you're celebrating differences is to recognize that any kind of a shortcoming or any kind of an area that you think is maybe a flaw, 
The opposite side of that is usually something worth celebrating. I'll give you an example, a couple examples. Think of somebody that you think of as especially cynical. Anybody know somebody cynical? Uh, Don't look at them right now. But uh, here's the, the, the cynical piece. Man, that person is probably also extremely discerning. Also extremely discerning. You see, whatever your character uh, quality or personality trait, often the opposite side of the spectrum is a beautiful thing that should be celebrated and pointed to and amplified. What about the, the person that you, say, that you would say to yourself about them? You'd say to yourself, man, they're, they're, they're just so easily wounded. They're so sensitive. Man, I can hardly be around them. They just get hurt so easily. That person, if you think about that person, often the most compassionate, somebody that that cares about people deeply, the person you want to go to when you're going through a difficult time. You see, the opposite side of whatever personality trait, how about the the person that's kind of pushy or somewhat annoying? They're they're often the leader or the team builder. Like you, you gotta learn to be able to accept both sides of the personality, and you have a choice which commentator you're going to listen to in your mind. Let me explain what I mean by that. The commentator, one might be saying, yeah, look how pushy they are. What if you replaced that commentator and said, yeah, but man, they're so great at getting things accomplished. I'm so thankful for that. What if we changed the commentator? We didn't listen to the flesh. All of a sudden, we allowed the spirit to celebrate the amazing things that make up the personalities that we're surrounded with. Think about this for a moment. For people that are in process, you'll never get all of one without part of the other. You don't just get the good. You also get a little bit of the bad because they're in process just like you. So celebrate differences. Recognize your part in all of this. Recognize your part in all of this. Here's the thing that I think needs to happen within the church and the way we engage with people with different personalities is recognize recognize this. You're not the key player in the story. You're, you're not that critical. You're, you're kind of a, a side note in the story. And sometimes we get confused and think that we're the main, our opinion matters so much. And God's just like, no, 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 no. You're just an extra. You're just an extra. Like you're the guy in the crowd. You're the guy and nobody wants to hear this, but that's the truth of the matter. There's one key player in this story, and it's God. And that's good news for each of us. That's very good news. He's reigning and ruling over this. And guess what? Even with your good decisions, your bad decisions, he's still going to do something amazing with it for us to recognize that our part in all this, we're just extras. In fact, tell the person next to you, they're just an extra. That's hard for some of us to hear. Some found great joy in that. Here's the, the last one. You see it there on the screen. This idea, stay connected to the vine. I've realized over the years talking about personalities is like, man, I have to work on it whenever I'm in any kind of counseling scenario. Let me explain. My natural inclination in counseling is for me to be like, hey, you should stop doing that, start doing that, and definitely do, don't do that. Anybody else like that in counseling? Like that, that's, that's my natural, that's what comes uh, some, uh, definitely some el- elbows going with husbands right now. But, but here's, here's the thing. And so, so they're counseling, and here's the reason I, I bring that up. I so often forget 
Now, we can't do this by trying harder. We can't do this by saying, you know what, I'm going to just work on this dealing with personality conflicts. I'm going, to, I'm going to supersede this unnatural thing and I'm going to overcome it in my life. No. How it works is the degree in which we're submitted to the Holy Spirit in our life. When we're connected to the vine, when we're pursuing that relationship, when that's in a healthy place, then all of a sudden people aren't quite so prickly. They're not quite as annoying to us. All of a sudden, when we're in a healthy spot spiritually, man, all of a sudden we got all kinds of patience. We got all kinds of grace for people that we're surrounded with. When we're not in a healthy spot with the Lord, all of a sudden we're vulnerable to this. Do you understand what I'm saying by this? That's another practical thing. It's not a defensive work harder on it. It's an offensive, man, I just have to stay connected to the vine because I'm not capable of this on my own, but I'm grateful that he is working through me. A couple practical things. We'll end with this last point in this last couple verses. You see how things play out. So they decided to go separate directions. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. I wanted to point to this uh, one simple word there in verse 40. Paul chose Silas. So just a last practical thing here. So much of our life comes down to the choices we make of partners, right? Some of us sitting next to that partner saying amen right now. For us, the decision of choosing partners in life is key. it's so critical. And I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about in every arena, choosing partners wisely is critical. Who we're going to partner with, who we're going to do life, who we're going to share experiences with. My wife and I learned a little bit about this. We had a season where uh, we were uh, were living at Judson University. We had a rental property and we learned how anybody, any uh, landlords learn a little bit about choosing partners uh, wisely, i.e. tenants. Uh, and, so, and so we learned a lot. God taught us a lot about choosing partners wisely during that area. I'll tell you one funny phone call I got one day. is my tenant of a, a place that was staying, that was renting from us. And he called me up and he said, hey, Scott, thought you should know this, that the police, they did raid your house and uh, they did find guns. And so I won't be able to be your tenant any longer. That was a poor choice of a tenant to partner with. You know, he said, but my mom's looking for a place she can move in. I said, great, she's in. So anyway, here's the thing. Uh, I didn't learn well in that situation. But here's the thing that's so key uh, in choices of partners is for us to wrestle through it because a lot of the front end work We can do here by being wise in our decision-making of who we're sharing partners in ministry, who we're sharing partners in business, who we're sharing partners in life, who we're sharing partners in friendship. All of those, God demands us to use some common sense if we're going to expect to see fruit on the other end of this in this scenario. 
God worked and used all this stuff for the good and the glory. That's what's so encouraging about him. Eventually, uh, Paul, Paul, I love it, in 2 Timothy, refers to later on talking about Mark, saying that he's very useful to ministry for me, which is kind of cool to see the change and shift of his heart ultimately. God, God used this to expand the kingdom. Now, instead of one missionary team going out, there's two different teams going out. God, God uses and works through that. But for us, I believe the wise thing is to suggest is, man, we have to pick partners wisely. He chose Silas. They ended up being a, a great partner, a great team. We go into lots of those characteristics as the weeks play out. But for us, to use this as a teachable tool, we have to recognize that we can learn not just from successes, but also from failures. In this arena, they learn probably, if I were to kind of boil it down, the biggest thing, man, you just can't elevate being right over the person that has to trump all. Let me pray as we wrap up. God, we thank you so much for your word and how we can learn from it in so many different ways. God, it'd be wonderful if we could learn from others' experiences, not just our own. We could actually grow in this area because, man, the unity of the church demands it. It depends on it. God, we need your strength. And even as I suggested, we have to stay connected to the vine. If any of this is going to work, God, we're dependent on you fully for that. That's why we submit this to you now in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, in line with this idea of prayer, we had a nice little elders retreat last week. And one of the things we wanted to implement as a church is having a couple of volunteers available after the services to pray for us in any area, whether it is an area specific to the service or just something else going on. So we're going to have different teams of people available after the service. So feel free to take advantage of that today even. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday.